Under the Helmet. You do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what type of team we want to be. Building dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. Tell you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome down to the Helmet. Look at some long-term player value in fantasy football. We've got Katie Flower here. I am Chad Parsons, official show of uthdynasty.com, where the UTH Draft Guide dropped this week. Katie was... Uh, nice enough to help again this year, put that final copy together, sent that out to super fans, folks that signed up. Uh, if you want to uh, qualify for a copy for free, you can go over there at patreon.com slash UTH. You can also buy a copy. Uh, you can see that on Twitter on my profile, right side of the UTH Dynasty homepage. So a lot of different ways to get it. The pre-draft version is out. It sets the table. But the big part is you digest everything. You get to know the prospects in depth through the projection model, through comparable prospect matrix, through a number of different avenues. There's new features like a decision-making chart uh, for your one quarterback and super flex rookie draft format. So a lot of new toys in there for 2022. And you get the post-draft version by the end of draft weekend. Uh, it's basically my priority one is putting out the updated copy. So you're going to get everything, including some ADP trends and some pockets for target players, avoid players, maybe some spots to trade out as well. So um, that is a, a labor of love for sure. And it kind of marks the end of draft prep season. And here we are, Katie, we're going to do a 2022 mock draft next week. And uh, we also got something special the week before the NFL draft planned. But we have been working through back to, was it 2013 or two? I think it was 2013 we started. Yes. And yeah, so it's been a long road to get here. And here we are talking 2021. So we have 12 months or so since we were talking about them as the upcoming prospects for that rookie class. And so here we are one year removed. So less data points, but still lessons to be learned and to discuss where we were 12, 11 months ago. Oh, absolutely. There's always lessons to be learned. And one of the things that we have said throughout this process is the strength of a class for fantasy purposes, especially if it's super flex, would be the running backs and quarterbacks. We had plenty of good quarterbacks. We'll get to them in a bit. Um, and then some that struggled to have a slow start. But as far as running backs, we had two first round NFL picks, Najee Harris, 24th overall to Pittsburgh, Travis Etienne, 25th overall, right behind him to Jacksonville. He got injured out for the season. So he's got a, you know, a blank on his scorecard right now. Javonta Williams did not disappoint as a second round pick, 35th overall to Denver. And then we had a little bit of a low. We had Trey Sermon in, in round three. He was the last one in the top 100. Michael Carter was a fourth round pick. A lot of people are still very psyched up about him. Uh, Ramondre C Stevenson, round four to New England. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, round four. Kenny Wangu in round four. Kenneth Gainwell in round five, Elijah Mitchell round six pick ended up doing pretty good, but a whole bunch of just, you know, guys like Jamar Jefferson, who we had high hopes in Debbie. And then he ended up seventh, seventh round pick and didn't really do much with his opportunity when he had a chance to get in there. What are your thoughts on this running back class? 
Yeah. The first thing I think of is how people may or may not feel about Travis Etienne after year one. And as you said, incomplete and basically ended before it started. And we still don't know if he were fully healthy. How would that have gone? Urban Meyer, we know the offense for Jacksonville really didn't work out. James Robinson ended up getting hurt himself. So a lot of question marks with Jacksonville entering year two, but round one running back. And obviously you kind of look around, you say, if I drafted Travis Etienne, instead of or in the same zone as Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts um, in that zone beyond Najee Harris, how do you feel? And I think, again, you need to have an incomplete grade because injuries happen. What if that injury had happened to Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts? So it could have hit anyone. And so not playing does not mean you have proven that you cannot play. He was a round one pick. He was a major prospect from a major program that got round one pedigree. And, And I think... He, he feels appropriately valued. I don't see a lot of people throwing him around in dynasty trades one year later, but I think it's important when you see a lot of producers around him, Javante Williams in the running back 2-3 market conversation for the position in startup drafts right now. So there's a lot of probably feeling like you're missing out in that top five, six of, of the one quarterback rookie drafts last year with, with Travis Etienne. That's my first point. It's just that, that the round one pedigree, it's very, very sticky. One great example is someone like Rashad Penny. I mean, look what he showed when finally he was healthy for a month or so. And you saw the talent, you saw him run with that job, and you saw a guy that I believe he was in the top five or something for the last two, three, four weeks of the fantasy season. So to say that Travis Etienne couldn't be one of the major bounce back players and one of the major uplift guys for a Jacksonville team, probably better on offense this year, it's going to be tough not to be better. So I just think there's a lot of things moving pieces wise, but that round one pedigree with running backs is so, so sticky. And I don't want people to feel like, oh, you know, I, I made a bad pick because I think the process was correct with ETN up in that top three, four, five. Yeah. And in rookie drafts, Najee Harris was going 101 more often than not. We had Travis ETN, Jamar Chase right there tied for the 102, 103 ish range, depending on whether the league was super flex or not. And this would be typically not super flex. Kyle Pitts was right up there. Javonta Williams in the 105 to 107 range. Trey Sermon was the one guy that was mid to late round first of rookie drafts. What happened to him? He had a pretty good profile. I know we liked him quite a lot. He he got usurped by uh, Elijah Mitchell, who was a six-round draft pick in the same draft class. Uh, San Francisco drafted two guys, and Elijah Mitchell ended up with almost a thousand yards, a thousand total yards if you count his receiving. I think what I'm going to remember with with Trey Sermon is the fact that we probably did not account for the Shanahan factor, that he can make somebody good, a lot of players good. And that speed also, we look back, Raheem Mostert, speed kills. So if you give him a 4-3 guy that can see a hole that's going to be defined for him, that could absolutely be the trump card. In it. And it was with Elijah Mitchell. So I do think Trey Sermon appropriately priced when you consider a round three running back and where he was going. Now, the one thing I looking back at my big board, the one thing that with a lot of the research I've done about just process this off season about what is pedigree at certain positions and certain zones of the draft, what types of decisions should you be making? And I had it, I had sermon over Jalen Waddle. 
Um, probably is the most glaring example of a guy that was drafted top 10. I think he actually went five overall. Maybe it was five or six. And then, but that's a lot of pedigree. We're not talking about Rashad Bateman or Devonta Smith or guys that went not in that upper echelon zone for, for wide receiver pedigree and independent of the outcomes, but just what I have um, distilled down a lot more clearly with, with that clarity this offseason is that Jalen Waddell would have been higher on my big board versus Trey Sermon specifically. And, and I think the trading up for Sermon kind of blinded us. It got us into sort of Alvin Kamara zone when really Shanahan functions quite differently that you know he can make guys work. And Elijah Mitchell was drafted. We knew that at the time of rookie drafts. And so you know, big speed, size, movement guy, and, and Sermon is not really that. So I again, I like the round three profile, but I do think when you're saying versus Jalen Waddle, who was drafted in the top ten of the draft, is that is a tough historical bet. I, I think to win, especially when you're looking at a two or three or four year sample size, where running back might win, you know, probability wise of hitting in year one. But the Shanahan factor, he kind of got in the doghouse. I didn't think Sermon looked bad, but but it's just I, I think that landing spot proved to be neutral or negative as opposed to what we thought might have been overtly positive. And then I think round three running back and not one that's you know elite versus the highly drafted wide receiver. That's one that, especially when you're getting that sort of equity on on Jalen Waddell in that range of the draft, that's definitely one that that I have learned from in a lesson. Yeah, that. I mean, that makes sense and it sounds good. What do you think of Michael Carter, uh, fourth round pick? And he ended up with 639 rushing yards, 325 receiving yards. So he, he's pretty well balanced back. Do you think that he is, you know, the Jets solution to that for the future? Well, he's the he's the riskiest guy going into the draft. One of the if I were making a list of three, four, five guys, he is one when you consider his cost. And and looking back, he had a first round, that's one quarterback, first round ADP. And that has been horrific if you draft a day three running back. And that goes back to 2016, where you had guys like Kenneth Dixon or Devontae Booker. Now, obviously, Michael Carter has showed a little something. But they have a ton of picks. Like Tim and I were talking about it on the on the patron show. That I mean, those picks, they have two in the 30s there in the early second round. That could be right in the crosshairs of running back one, certainly running back two. And they have a lot of options there. And to say that running back, you know, Tevin Coleman, please, and you know, you know, well, Michael P. And they really don't have much. And when you say they're putting all their hopes on a day three guy. That's a tough sell for me because he wasn't a bulletproof prospect. So so for Carter, I think the price initially, I still would go back and say that that's a horrific bet and everyone was making it situationally, which means you have to value him situationally. And so day three, round one for one quarterback leagues. And that was a that's a tough one. That's a tough one to make. And it really has not worked out the Samaje P. Ryan theorem here that uh, that you, you bet on a guy to hold a job. And frankly, going back to kind of Shanahan, I mean, maybe it was a day three back in your, but hopefully you don't pay that price. Mitchell was like a fourth rounder or something like that in rookie draft. So um, you got a lot of bang for your buck there. So Michael Carter, I, I think this could be a, a Trey Mason type situation, not getting a girly going there, but getting somebody probably on the early second round. And all of a sudden, now, where are you? Injury away, injury away. Land. Yeah, no, I, I'm not surprised by that at all. And if you ask uh, who has the most likely chance of last year's rookies to get Trey Mason, I would put my money on Michael Carter as well. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you. I mean, how would you? How do you do? You feel one year later if you spent, you know, somewhere in the round two to earlier round three range of someone like Chuba Hubbard, Ramondre Stevenson, these guys that were projected to be backups, and yet there's a lot of talk. Patriots might draft a running back. Uh, obviously, we saw some some competition there with I think it was Deonta Foreman going to Carolina, so that makes it. And we saw it with Amir Abdullah kind of taking part of that role with no Christian McCaffrey. You know, out of the hands of Chuba Hubbard. So I don't know if you view either one of those guys as a true with James White coming back too. I mean, a true clarified backup running back that has you know top eight to ten upside if the starter is out. Yeah, uh, Chuba Hubbard, when given the opportunity, when Christian McCaffrey went down, he and Ramondre Stevenson both have very similar stats: six hundred rushing yards and one hundred and twenty to one hundred and seventy receiving yards. But I think that Ramondre Stevenson showed more than Chuba Hubbard did. And I think that Chuba has the more precarious position. I'm not 100% certain how New England's going to cut the pie, but I think Stevenson's part of that equation. Because he could be the Harris role, and uh, James White is going to siphon stuff from anybody. If he's fully healthy, if he's kind of his, tr- his similar role we've seen from him in recent years. It, and I think health at his age is going to be the big thing. How did he recover from that? And does he get back to, he wasn't a stellar athlete. He was just a very savvy receiving centric player. And Belichick put him in that role. Right. Um, right. And, and I'm thinking back to, again, the Elijah Mitchell lesson, because you're, I'm looking at all these running backs I had stacked up. In, you know, outside the top 30 or so on my big board. And you got guys like Kylan Hill, you got guys like Kenny Gainwell, who I was well below uh, market on him. But, but looking around, Khalil Herbert, uh, you know, but, but uh, Mitchell is the one that flashed. And honestly, out of all those guys, really good athlete, right? Really good athlete and going to a system that could make things simple. And that's probably the thing where you say, you need clarity on that fourth round rookie pick, let's say, by week one. And looking at guys like Chris Evans or Gainwell, for example, or Kylan Hill, I mean, there wasn't really a flash equation for them that early, that quickly. So did you move on? If there wasn't a taxi squad and it was 25-man rosters and that was your last spot uh, that you were drafting, I just, you know, going back to the what could really happen. And I know we had Mostert getting hurt and then Trey Sermon was uh, not really prominent. Actually, Sermon was supposed to be, right? It was Sermon plus, uh, I can't remember who the other option was for week one. Maybe it was Jeff Wilson or something. I can't, I can't recall, but then it was Elijah. All of a sudden, the answer was Elijah Mitchell. Just all of a sudden, that's where we were. So um, so yeah, just going to think about that. You want to draft someone with big time potential, the more ambiguous the depth chart, the better. And that equation really was Elijah Mitchell, uh, where you did get a, a string of some predictable starts out of Khalil Herbert, but everyone else in that zone was really blocked by multiple guys. And it did not seem like you were going to get that early return potential. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the a lot of times coach speak in practices and preseason, we ignore it, but you've got to watch it and try to read the tea leaves. And the, the jury out on Trey Sermon was he just wasn't working in practice. He wasn't looking good. And that held, that stuck. When he finally got his opportunity, it was fleeting and Elijah Mitchell took over. So you do have to try to watch the preseason, try to get as much uh, inside info as you can. Coach speak can help. It can hurt. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, again, we're one year in, but I do think, you know, and, and Javante Williams is another one where he was pretty much the declared 105 in, in one quarterback. And he was in that zone as the running back three and then Sermon as the four. Um, and then a big drop, you know, to everyone else. And and who's your flavor uh, beyond that? Um, but But yeah, I do think the you know, stepping up where having that differential, that is one thing, at least I, I was correct that if I could get to five, I remember I was getting there for Javante Williams. If, uh, if the other big four, if you will, were gone, and that was the typical easy top four. And then you had, uh, then you had Javante Williams and then you could go with sermon or the running, uh, the wide receivers or what have you. And then I just remember Javante Williams at five sometimes costs similar to getting to six for a wide receiver or sermon or someone like that. So getting some shares of Javante Williams, but one thing I will say, the, the really high-end startup price that that is going around the marketplace, it's tough to extract that value in the trade market. So TBD on if Melvin Gordon's coming back and you know, or, or what his situation is, he truly going to be a workhorse, or does something get splashed the pot, you know, kind of like uh, AJ Dillon for a moment in time last year is projected to be the starter. Aaron Jones comes back. So I wonder if Melvin Gordon will be someone that comes back maybe after the draft and and things kind of look a little more like last year, even if Javante Williams is gaining some steam. Yep. The wide receiver, we had five first-round NFL picks, and this class looked to be fairly deep. Uh, we had a lot of guys that in Debbie, big Debbie names that went later in the draft, but we had Jamar Chase, fifth overall, Jalen Waddle, sixth overall, Devonta Smith, 10th overall, then Kadarius Toney, 20th, and Rashad Bateman, 27th. Another five second-round picks, Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore, Dwayne Eskridge, Tutu Atwell, and Terrace Marshall. And I know that Terrace Marshall was a big target later in uh, like early round two, mid round two range, if it wasn't a super flex. But even a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, who was a fairly big Debbie name, went fourth round. He was overlooked a lot because of his draft capital or lack thereof. I know Diami Brown in the third round was another one that was constantly in that mid second early third range and uh people at some point like des fitzpatrick and jalen darden tylen wallace that were all fourth round picks so there was some good guys early mid and late and i think that amon ross st brown was as far as value for uh, almost 1000 yards out the gate as a rookie but now is he going too high what do you think of Amon yeah. Ross St. Let's start off with him. Yeah, I think that's a, a big concern. And I was pretty neutral. I, I looked here. I had him. His ADP was 22. I have in early early uh, drafts in Superflex last year. I had him at 23 overall. So I, I was right there. Now, the, the the problem would be, you know, is there anyone ahead? Like I was taking Chupa Hubbard or Ramondre Stevenson. I was going the running back route, which again, I will stand by that 100% because day three wide receivers and especially just taking wide receivers without just huge profiles or guys that are falling maybe, you know, from the early day two range uh, into the late second. That's kind of what you, if you do go towards a wide receiver, that's kind of the historical point you would make. And, and so 
yes, he got super fortunate. I kind of think back to Brandon Ayuk the year before where you say Brandon Ayuk was a top 20 guy for that stretch of time. And what was it? It was because George Kittle was out and Debo Samuel was out. And I think there's some similarities to what Amon Ross St. Brown did this past year where TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift were the notable guys in that passing game. Both of them for much, if not all of his stretch where he was putting up big numbers, big volume numbers, that that, that was the situation. So to think that the Lions are not going to address the wide receiver position, to think that the perfect storm of Hawkinson and Swift are going to be out at the same time, let alone many games at all uh, after they missed them last year, you know, that's a lot of ifs to say that we're going to continue this theme. Now, Monroe St. Brown was a good prospect, but he fell to day three. And, and that is, you cannot really overcome uh, that pedigree in terms of always looking over your shoulder. So I think that's a big one. And when you say that he was in the same kind of draft zone as say Kadarius Tony, the first round, fourth round, let's see how this works out with one or two more seasons under our belt, because Tony's a sleeper candidate. And then Amon Ross St. Brown looking over your shoulder saying, who's coming for me. Absolutely. Uh, I did want to. I did want to say one thing because Elijah Mitch. Uh, sorry, Elijah Moore is, is a really interesting one for me because he's getting a lot of love. And again, I my process of evaluation likes him just because he was, I think, in the wide receiver thirties for adjusted points per game as a rookie, which is a really good marker. Top forty-five is really that line of uh, of demarcation of being a success. But there's a lot of talk, like the more Jets things I hear about podcasts and about team building and talking to, you know, talking to sources and all this kind of stuff is that they're looking for a number one wide receiver. And when you hear that phrase, well, they just had a rookie look pretty good and they're looking. <laughs> so what does that say? That means they view him as like a 1B, number two. That doesn't mean he can't excel and uh, prove them wrong. But I mean, Elijah Mitchell is going relatively steep. Moore. Uh, Elijah Moore. How many times am I going to do that? Elijah Moore is going, going pretty steep in cost. And he's going in a zone where there's a lot of young guys that have produced to some amount or have good profiles. You still got the old guard of big time producers at 28 and, uh, and older. So I just think Elijah Moore might be, I mean, he's like wide receiver 15 to 18. That's rich. When you talk yeah. about all the production, and if this guy is not an alpha and you're going to rank him up there, you got to be super careful. Like I'm looking at my list. I mean, the only guy I wouldn't consider alpha capable in my top 20 would be, it's only because I think it's they're on the same team. I had teammates in there. Oh, T Higgins. You got T Higgins and Jamar Chase on the same team. So who's the alpha? Well, to be fair, they both could be. <laughs> they're both on an offense and they're both alphas and they're both top 16 guys production-wise any given year. So I, so, But I have all guys that I consider they can run a passing game. And Elijah Moore market wise is in there. So I think he's super risky. Um, you know, I almost decreased him a little bit just artificially because I don't, if you don't think he's an alpha, there's sort of a ceiling there unless the jets are a big time passing offense. And that's one of my big concerns with, with him and his valuation in the top 18 or 20. Now let's talk about Jalen Waddle. He had a 1000 yard season as a, as a rookie. How do you think he will do now that Tyreek Hill is in town? Yeah, big big faller situationally, just because I don't think Tua is going to lift the lids of two top 10 guys or something. Now, Tua may be gone in 2024, three or four, because of, hey, they're just searching for something better. But Tyreek Hill is a major addition. And to say Tyreek Hill is going to be wide receiver 30 and Jalen Waddle is going to continue to eat like he did last year, 
that is pretty risky. That's a pretty risky valuation. Now, I think Waddle's a good player, but I think it's crowded enough. Like between, say, wide receiver three and 15, I think it's really tight there. So I moved him down a decent amount. I like the player. I like what he did year one, but Tyreek Hill, <laughs> that is a huge addition that you cannot shake. And if they're not going to be a big time offense, kind of like I'm referencing with the Jets, I think you have to negate Waddle down a little bit. And I've seen some trades of like, basically let's reset the clock and trade him for a, a later first. And I think that's on the light side because you buy the profile, but still it's markedly different than pre, uh, pre Tyreek Hill. Okay. And then uh, Devonta Smith had almost a thousand yards. We know that Jamar Chase was almost 1500 yards of the guys that are considered alpha. Would you consider both of them? One of them, what do you think of Devonta Smith and his rookie season? Yeah, um, I, I hear a lot that the Eagles are interested in wide receiver. And that probably speaks more to Jalen Rager than anything. You know, yeah. it's it's Smith and who else? And Dallas Goddard, and let's build out this passing game. Let's give Jalen Hurts a chance. But they they still have a quarterback question. Um, I don't think Devonta Smith ultimately is a wide is a an alpha guy that's gonna lead a passing game for years at a time, like we've seen from some of these other guys. Like I don't think he's in that suspect, uh that's a subset. He's in the other group, that next group of good guys. But you know what? They might need a Batman. They're Robin. And Robin can be Batman. Maybe he changes his mask, he puts on a different cape. Maybe maybe he's Batman a, a little bit. But I do think he's basically as high as I can rank him in that wide receiver 18 to 20 range. That's about as high as I will go for a guy that I don't think is an alpha. So, because uh, again, they could add somebody. They have picks, and they if they're going to build around with weapons, who's to say they don't draft someone with more of an alpha profile, even if it's round two, but maybe even round one. So I I do think he's a little at risk, but round one profile, he was wide receiver 30 to 40 in year one. So that's a really nice solid floor outcome probably, but I do question, does he ever get into the top 12 or so with that really big seasonal, seasonal season ceiling? All right. One more question on wide receivers. Who do you think has the best shot of coming out of nowhere in year two, Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall or other anyone else? Ah, oh, coming out of nowhere. Well, Lamar Jackson and the passing stuff is going to be shaky. Yeah, I, I don't like I love Bateman, the player. But when you say Mark Andrews is the wide receiver one and Marquise Brown is also there until he's not that that's a rough historical bet. When you say passing quarterback level plus all those ancillary targets that are significant. So Bateman, I love the player. I almost wonder, though, if he's going to erode in cost and maybe next off season is the year to buy them or late in the season because Marquise Brown, that factor could clean things up a little bit. Um, I, I would give Terrace Marshall a pass. That's just me. Robbie Anderson did not look good. We don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. There's not really a veteran fix. I wish they had got one of these more sturdy veterans or maybe a trade done. But if you're talking Malik Willis or something, or Kenny Pickett or something in round one, I don't know if that's going to really be the thing that lifts uh, lifts him up. So I don't know if that's enough. DJ Moore is there. He's an alpha. And so you say a beta, how, how good can a beta be on a team without a strong quarterback play? So, yeah, I, I guess 
Ah, it's tough. You know, I, I think historically I'm going to go with with Rashad Bateman, but it's not going to be this year unless there's an injury somewhere. But you know what? Well, Marquise Brown uh, could be an injury if Mark Andrews is out. You kind of have to play these scenarios out, and even if it's only for half a year, I think that's sometimes the window, as we saw with Ayuk the year before and Amon Ross St. Brown. Sometimes that can be the thing to lead a passing game. But you could pick Rondell Moore or anybody else. I said of those no, two I gotcha. or anyone else. Well, so Rondell if- Moore has the same sort of things going on. I mean, DeAndre yeah. Hopkins is going and Christian Kirk gone. But so, so yes. And, and we kind of saw some force feeding of touches. He's, he's probably mo- the most interesting player, I will say, on the board because he could absolutely you know, turn into a Percy Harvin-like player. But will he be used in that way? because he's not a quote-unquote traditional wide receiver. So that's a tough one from a, a scheme standpoint. But you say Cliff Kingsbury should get creative with, with all of his pieces. Yeah, and the coach speak out on the street is that they are going to plan to scheme up some more plays to get the playmaker some some touches. So but the big plays were not there, to be fair. And, he, had, right. he had like one deep pass, but everything was like three yards and some running back stuff. I mean, I left the year wanting more. From, from him, no pun intended. Right, but I'm just saying the coach has said in year two they intend to amp it up, that they didn't use yeah. him well enough. So that's interesting. That's, that's absolutely fair. I, I mean, that's very good and transparent. You know, if you have that awareness of like, hey, we went back and watched the tape and it's like, what are we doing with this guy? That we yeah, drafted they, early. I mean, it's not that he was around four pick. Right. So if the coach speak is correct and they really want to use him and scheme him up more, that's a good uptick for him. I wouldn't bank on it though. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell the farm to trade for Rondale Moore with that anticipation. Oh yeah. If you trade for a ceiling and he doesn't ever make it, well, you've wasted I've, I've definitely ammunition. Used, I've definitely used him as a piece of, you know, if I go two for one, three for one or two for two, but I'm getting an upgrade somewhere else. Moore has been a player that I have not really questioned putting him into a deal if someone wants him. Because if uh, the only way is if he gets all the way home as that true game-changing manufactured touch player, you know, sort of a hybrid Debo Samuel type, but obviously he's, he's completely subsized. So I just, there's probably not the greatest avenue for him to be utilized in a way to maximize what he's potentially capable Tavon Austin style, let's say. Gotcha. So with a tight end class, as expected, and everybody said this wasn't going to happen, couldn't happen. Tight ends take forever. You're not going to get a wide receiver one, tight end one out of Kyle Pitts. He went fourth overall to Atlanta, and he put up over 1,000 yards this year. And people said, well, just wait. You can buy low on him next year. No, you can't. Uh, He really is very expensive, whether it's regular tight end, tight end premium, or start two. I have not seen a decent deal on Kyle Pitts. And most owners don't even want to let him be pried from their fingers. And I'm kind of sad for Pat Fryermuth, who went in round two to Pittsburgh. He had a heck of a rookie year with almost 500 yards. That's outstanding for a tight end as a rookie. And he's way overshadowed. Pitts doubled him. Yeah. And so Pitts lived up to everything, you know, and imagine if he scored some touchdowns, you know, that's one of the bigger things. Oh, if he had average touchdown rate, here's where he would have been. So we'll see. I mean, obviously they have Mariota at quarterback. They got plenty of question marks, but Pitts is the cornerstone with no Calvin Ridley. And we'll see if they draft, you know, notably around him. So this might be a building year, but you know what? The, The threshold at tight end to get into the top four, five, six is not overly high if you're the lead guy for your team and pick certainly projects as that. And I, I love what you said about Fryermuth. You know, he's underrated because uh, of what he did year one, but because Pitts was around and that's sort of the 
the the asterisk to all this stuff is like you know, and I, I think a lot of people are going to be questioning tight end and rookie drafts in general because you know we had that big year was it seventeen or eighteen with you know the Evan Ingram, OJ Howard, David Njoku, and we didn't really get a lot of returns from that in the macro if you spent that later first. And then now, if a class doesn't have a Kyle Pitts type player, it's gonna be like, well, what are we doing? You know. So I I do think that that Pitts and what he did is probably gonna say people fade tight end maybe a little bit more in future years unless there's a big time. You know, T.J. Hawkinson went top ten, but we rarely get a guy all the way up that high in the NFL draft. And Pitts was considered one of the best players at any position in the draft. Um, I think the key player here, honestly, is Brevin Jordan. Like, is he going to be one that he was highly viewed? He fell in the draft, but he was still the third most on a per game basis productive player in this class. That wasn't very good. I understand that behind Pitts and Friermuth, but Houston, they got a chance. You got a chip in a chair uh, to be the, the starting tight end there. He showed a little bit in year one. So I've seen some people value Brevin Jordan too highly. I've traded him away once or twice, but I also think that there's potential one of those sneaky guys that could get into the top 12 or so uh, where maybe not a lot of people notice, just like Brandon Cooks. You know, If it happens in Houston, maybe not a lot of people take notice this year. Yeah. So is there anybody else from this year's tight end class or from last year's tight end class that you think has potential in that next two to three year window? Or do you think that's it? It's Kyle Pitts, it's Pat Fryermuth and Brevin Jordan, and the rest are just going to be an afterthought when history is all done. Well, I really liked Hunter Long as a prospect coming out. And the fact that Mike Gesicki came back on the tag, we might have to wait one more year, but he's pretty smooth. He caught a few passes. I understand he's not on any sort of macro success track, but tight end is tough if you're the backup guy. Just ask Martellus Bennett when he sat behind Jason Witten for, I think, his whole rookie contract before he was free and got us a lead job a couple different places. So Hunter Long would be that profile guy. I think this year, just to see what the Colts add in passing game weapons. But if the answer is not much, Kylan Granson could be interesting with Matt Ryan, you know, a functional, strong veteran quarterback uh, when you say it's Michael Pittman and what. So um, those would be the two guys in terms of Hunter Long profile-wise beyond this year, or if Gasicki goes down, he becomes maybe a streamable guy. And then Kylan Granson on the upside shot of, hey, he's a receiving-centric kind of sub-sized Gerald Everett type player. And Matt Ryan can absolutely optimize someone like that if they're lacking at wide receiver. Good stuff. So quarterbacks, let's wrap this up. We had five big ones in the first round. We had Trevor Lawrence first overall, Zach Wilson second overall, Trey Lance third overall. Justin Fields fell to 11. A lot of Debbie player owners thought that he would be one of the top. And then Mac Jones at 15th overall to the Patriots couple guys that went later, like Davis Mills was significant because of his time in Houston. He ended up having a pretty good rookie season, but struggles with Trevor Lawrence, struggles with Zach Wilson, not much playing time for Trey Lance. But yet of all these guys, you know who's going the highest in new startups or Superflex startups is Trey Lance. They're looking totally at his upside. He had 603 yards with 168 rushing yards, very played only three games. So I don't understand why or how people already have him anointed. What are your thoughts? So risky. Yeah. Um, I think I think Trey Lance for the price. I think Justin Fields for the price, super risky. 101s, like it, it's amazing. The research I've done, 
101s like Trevor Lawrence get a pass. Like you can do almost whatever you want year one, and it does not affect your your breakout odds in year two, year three. Your top six odds to, to produce as a higher end quarterback one are very high. And that's and you don't have to be quarterback 18 in year one to be on your way or on track for that. So yeah, Trey Lance in the top eight, 10 of the position to me is crazy considering some of the veterans going behind him. I mean, he's going around where Deshaun Watson's going now, which look at their two profiles on what they've done. And, and something you said, I mean, it's not, this definitely was not a class that performed well considering those five guys. I I had one Katie, one, one, two quarterback draft. I think they went one through five, the the top five quarterbacks, Mac Jones went at five and that was it. You know, you could get pits and, and, uh, Jamar Chase and and all those t- Najee Harris beyond 105. <laughs> so uh, you know, uh, yeah. So that's the type of oh, this is a great class. We got to go towards quarterback, and that you really didn't. You really got a bunch of nothing in, in year one. So those teams probably you know did not elevate their team at all with those selections. Um, and, and again, when you're comparing it to guys like Jamar Chase and Pitts and and first round running backs and all that, uh, you just see this is a classic example of the risk. Now we'll see. You always have the the stats of you know average class what two turn out, two turn out yeah. to actually be. Uh, is it three? What, what's the threshold for that? That past two their rookie season, past, past their. Yeah, rookie contract as a starter. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. So to actually, quote unquote, make it, and you wouldn't have. I mean, I mean, I liked watching Mac Jones. I think some of his ancillary things don't, don't point him to maybe a high ceiling, but he definitely looked the part. Davis Mills looked the part. We'll see how those turn out. But the big names, uh, I mean, you saw flashes, but man, were they fleeting? And and that probably is the biggest scare thing. Where you take a high first, where you could have traded for a number of veterans, like you could have got Kirk Cousins plus plus for the, some of those picks. And yet you have a rookie. Let's see how it turns out. The good news is with the mobile guys like Trey Lance and Justin Fields, we saw with Jalen Hurts that they don't necessarily have to be good quarterbacks NFL-wise to be good fantasy options, but then that job security is really lacking. Yeah. Um, it's funny that Trevor Lawrence ended up with the second most uh, rushing yards as a rookie. Uh, so he well, he isn't necessarily a mobile, but he's mobile enough. He he can move very right, athletic. Right. Yeah. There's that hyper mobile bucket uh, of some guys. You know, Josh Allen qualifies, Lamar Jackson, and then some of these rookies. But then that secondary bucket of you remember back to like Russell Wilson when he was first in the league, where he was in sort of that secondary or even secondary plus tier. And I, I do think Trevor Lawrence falls in that zone. Um, and then Mac Jones is probably in a, a third bucket where it's like, eh, you know, maybe rush for 100, 150 yards. You know, can he get a touchdown or two and just sort of hang uh, to some degree? Um, as a Patriots, you know, watching watching most or all the games, what did you think of Mac Jones year one? And is there a divide between NFL and fantasy? I do think that he, one thing that will help in fantasy is if you hit on a guy that's going to be there for a long, long time. And I think that Tom Brady has proven that you can be a non-running quarterback and still be relevant fantasy-wise, QB2 last year at his age. I think that Mac Jones does have some potential to stick in the league. I like what I saw from him and he's got the good mechanics. He, he took what they gave him and he did what they asked. I think they're going to open up the gates a little bit more. They're going to get him some more weapons. And I'm just looking forward to seeing him for many years to come. I think that fantasy-wise, he's going to be less expensive. He's going to be right in that 
Derek Carr to Kirk Cousins to Ryan Tannehill overlooked, not overly flashy, maybe not overly stud worthy, but as your second quarterback in a super flex, somebody that isn't going to kill you. And they may eventually at certain times put up some decent numbers to help you win games. And I think it's important to realize that some of these pure or more primarily pocket quarterbacks, it takes more time, right? I mean, because they're not putting up fantasy numbers with on the ground as much, which means you're probably going to be lagging. Your, your quarterbacking skills, your passing skills are going to have to carry you to a higher percentage, which means early on, you don't have that flash of like Trey Lance running for 80 yards and a touchdown, you know, and that, and all of a sudden you overlook the fact that he was pretty scattershot as a passer that, that game. Cause all you saw was 29 fantasy points where Mac Jones can run the offense and look good. And yet you see, you know, 212 yards, one touchdown, but he had one run rush for eight yards, you know, so that's not a good fantasy day, but he's been, he's already through college had to win without running basically. And, and I do think that that serves you well. And let's not pretend like Tom Brady was like some elite fantasy option when he was winning his first Super Bowl, And it took a while. I remember Katie, was it the Randy Moss? Like, I think that was with Wes Welker as well. I mean, was it that 07 year where I can't remember offhand how much he was a, a dominant fantasy player before that season? I started playing fantasy in 2012, so I don't know yeah. what he was putting up for points. Sorry. Well, here it is. Sorry, here it is. So he he had that first year where I think he only started in the playoffs. So that would have been, you know, and then going in for Drew Brees. He was quarterback 19 the first starting year he played. And then he was 8, 11, 10. So he was, again, solid. I, I, if we probably go back in time, uh, were people questioning his fantasy ceiling? You know, oh, he doesn't run, you know, all that stuff. And that was four years into his career before he popped off for QB2. So it took quite a while. And I, that, that's just, again, and, and like Drew Brees, for example, yes, it, it's harder to get the high QB1, but I just want to remind folks it's a developmental thing. And let's not pretend like the Patriots had categorically good weapons around him in the passing game. So, like you said, that's going to be a building block thing this year and next. And the thing to remember too, fantasy wise is when Tom Brady was a rookie and starting to get playing time. And even until it wasn't until really Cam Newton and Russell Wilson and some of those other guys, Michael Vick to a certain extent, but back then Michael Vick was the anomaly, not the norm. And so guys like Tom Brady, pocket passers were the norm. And so fantasy wise, it was much easier to be towards the top. Now you have that running element and it really does. It is a game changer. Yeah. And, and I think the last thing, the, the one of the big points I would make is, especially when you have a bunch of quarterbacks go pretty high, that's not going to be the case in 2022. But right. when you, when you have a bunch of them, I remember thinking just Mac Jones is an arbitrage, you know, everyone's beating him down. He goes, he makes it into the top half of round one, which is a very sticky tear break there. And there was a bunch of quarterbacks that went higher than him. They were flashier, but you could get Mac Jones late first, early second of a lot of super flex drafts, not necessarily two quarterback. And you profited. You have profited from that point today. You were able to start him on occasion if you needed him a year ago as a rookie. And now you have a guy that I feel pretty darn confident that he's going to make it through his rookie contract. Now, you know, what's the upside during that span? What's the, the ultimate ceiling? Is he a 10-year starter in the NFL? I can't answer these questions, but I have more confidence he's starting in 2023 
than I do some of these other quarterbacks that really haven't shown a whole lot. Their risk factor, their ceiling may be a little higher fantasy-wise, but the risk factor that you get nothing or a precipitous drop is, is very pronounced and more so than Jones, in my opinion. I'm really looking forward to our mock draft next week and our surprise show the week after. And I'm also very much looking forward to the NFL draft to see where these guys finally land, how many quarterbacks make it in round one. This is a great time of year, Chad, to be a, a dynasty fantasy owner. Oh, it is. And I, you know, the live show, uh, I can't wait to be reacting where first round, we're going to get you know quarterback on watch. We're going to get wide receivers, uh, maybe a plenty. And day two is going to be absolutely uh, loaded and interesting with storylines for the skill positions. But, uh, but yeah, that kind of kicks off rookie draft season, in my opinion. You know, April is kind of where we're waiting. Uh, we've done a lot of research on the players, and we've been following, frankly, uh, Debbie-wise uh, throughout their college careers, most of them for two, three years now. And, uh, and yeah, when we get to the NFL draft, that's sort of a celebration. I always view it as for, for dynasty owners and, and for the process in early May that we are going to partake upon with, with our leagues. So if you want to follow Katie between episodes, you can find her on Twitter at FF underscore Skyler 399. I am at Chad Parsons NFL reminder. If you want to get the draft guide, go over to patreon.com slash UTH, or you can find me on Twitter and you can find that information to sign up for the pre-draft. You get the post-draft, uh, a lot of groundbreaking information that will set you up for success, as well as if you sign up as a general manager subscriber at UTH Dynasty, hey, you get to uh, talk shop with us, get in there with the live draft shows on night one and night two of the draft as well coming up in a few weeks. So we will have our 22 mock draft coming up next week. And then like Katie said, a surprise, a couple shows from now. For Katie Flower, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep hitting those downstairs. Get a kid, wait till they're five. There's your assistant, right? Oh I mean, my God. Do you, do you trust a five-year-old? I don't trust myself sometimes, Chad. <laughs>